Hey guys, I'm lead pastor Noel Peepgrass, and I just wanted to welcome you to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a church family to be a part of, or feel called to join a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in our historic building at 218 West Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. Uh, this morning, I wanted to start by asking a question, and I want you to think about it a little bit, because I had to stop and think about it, and it was, uh, I'm not sure I liked necessarily the answer that I had for myself, but have you ever taken a stand for something? Have you ever taken a stand for something, you know? And think about what it was and, and what kind of stand did you take? I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you are the, the type of people that easily take a stand for something. But, but for some of us, it can be really hard to take a stand uh, for something, you know? I was thinking, too, to myself as I, as I thought about that question, as I reflected that question back to my own self, I thought, um, I thought about how often I've taken a stand for something that didn't need to be taken you know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's, it's, in my life, it's been easier to take a stand for things that aren't that important. Why is it easier sometimes to, to take a stand for something that's less important? Like, for example, when I took a stand against that official because his call was horrible. It was really easy. It came right up out of me to take a stand in that moment. I didn't even have to think about it. I didn't have to conjure up any courage. It just came right out of me, you know? And, and when we were watching the football game on Friday night, and they, our team missed a couple tackles, it just came right out of us. We're like, no, injustice. But, but a lot of times, taking a stand is, is a lot more complicated than that, isn't it? And uh, in this story, we see uh, an example of a godly man uh, taking a stand for something really important. And I think there's something for us today. John the Baptist, I've said this before, John the Baptist is one of my favorite characters in Scripture. I think because he's bold, I think because of the way his life was set apart, I think because, like, you know, when you hear the phrase, like, a man with his hair on fire, to me, that is John the Baptist. He lived his life full of passion. He had one objective, to do the will of God, to do what God sent him on earth to do, and that's what he did. And so we're going we're gonna to read about how that went for him. Let's start in verse 14. I'm sorry, this isn't verse 14. This is verse 1 of chapter 14. It says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. So the first question you have to ask is, Who is Herod the Tetrarch? Right? And we've heard about Herod already in the book of Matthew. Chapter 2, there was a Herod. That Herod did bad things, right? That's the Herod that killed a bunch of babies after Jesus' birth out of jealousy, right? So this is Herod the Tetrarch, and it's actually, it's a different Herod. I don't know if you knew this, but Herod is actually like an honorific title. I, I'm not sure I'd heard the word honorific before this week, but Herod is an, it's an honorific title. It's a title like Caesar or Pharaoh. It's like, it's not a name, even though it's sometimes used as a name. It's like a, it's a title, right? It's a title more than it is a name, although sometimes it is used as a name, and so it can be a little bit complicated. Uh, in this case, historically, 
we know that who's being talked about here is a man named Herod Antipas. He's one of the sons of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, the baby killer. That was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a paranoid man, a paranoid man of war. And, he, and like I said, he's the one that killed all the male babies in Jerusalem. He heard from these magi, the wise men came to him first, and they're like, a king has been born. The king of the Jews has been born in Jerusalem. Herod, paranoid. His, his answer was just to throw the, the baby out with all the bathwater. Let's just kill all the baby boys born in the last few years. That gives you a great picture of Herod the Great. Again, the father of Herod the Tetrarch, who we're talking about in this story. So what is a Tetrarch? That's the next question. It sounds an awful lot like Tetris. Okay, and if you are anything like me, you may have at one time played way too much Tetris. Before there was Instagram, we, we entertained ourselves with Solitaire and Tetris. Anyways, uh, a Tetris has nothing to do with a Tetrarch, but it, it reminded me of it. A Tetrarch is a type of ruler uh, a tetrarch ruled a region of Rome. So Herod the Tetrarch is a, a, a Roman ruler, okay? But in this case, Anipus, Herod Anipus, was a Jew. So he's a Jew ruling on behalf of the Romans, okay? He's been actually hired by the Romans to rule. And he's ruling this area uh, called Galilee, which was an area that Jesus found himself in. So Herod, Anipus, a Jew by birth, hired by Rome to rule over his own people. See, Rome was really smart. When they conquered a territory, they knew that people, locals, would probably not just follow any old, like, Roman leader, right? And so Rome employed uh, nationals to rule over their own people. So Herod was in this way a traitor. He was enforcing Roman rule over his own Jewish people. But Herod was a Jew by birth. <clears throat> so Herod's life, you guys, whether it be Herod the Great or Herod Antipas that we read about here, the son of Herod the Great, Herod's life, both Herods, are a symbol of wayward Israel. Israel off track. The kind of Israel that we read so much about in the Old Testament, that we read so much about in the Old Testament. Herod is a symbol of wayward Israel. He stood in direct opposition to Jesus already by his father's life. He did everything he could not to accept Jesus, not to receive Jesus as king, but to kill Jesus. He's Jewish by birth, but he's not a follower of God's law. And not in this case, a disciple of Jesus either. So he's not even followed Old Testament law. This is a bad Jew, so to speak. He didn't even follow God's old law. He was Jewish by birth, but not a follower of God. See, you can be born into even a Christian family and still not make a decision to actually submit yourself to the will of and law of God, and Jewish, I'm sorry, and Herod was Jewish by birth, but he was not a follower of God's law. He was not a disciple of Jesus, as we'll see further. But it does seem that Herod, especially if you read this same account in Mark chapter 6, it does seem 
that Herod held at least a sense of admiration and respect for John. John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, as I like to hear him called. JTB, if you're trying to shorten it. The first follower of Jesus, this guy John, the very first follower of Jesus. A relative who baptized Jesus, like a pastor would. If Jesus had a pastor, it was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's whole job was to prepare the way in the wilderness for the Messiah he'd, be, he'd been sent to proclaim. It says in Matthew that Herod feared John and knew him to be righteous, holy, and wise. Herod recognized this man, John, was a holy man. He was a righteous man. So by this time in Jesus' story, John has already been killed, okay? So John has already been killed. This is why Herod says, oh, this Jesus guy, this must be John the Baptist, raised from the dead. That's what he says in the second verse. This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. This is a remarkable fact about the life of John the Baptist. Have you ever been mistaken for Jesus? You haven't. Trust me. You have not been. Trust me. I'll answer that question. And nor have I. Certainly not, not have I been mistaken for Jesus. John's life and his ministry, you guys, was powerful. Jesus called John, what? The greatest man born of a woman. That is a title that you should pursue. The greatest man born of a woman. That's what Jesus called John. John's life and ministry was powerful. Evidently, it was, it was full of miracles and wise teaching. In this way, John is a bit of a uh, parallel figure to Jesus, right? John is like Jesus in this way. In some ways, uh, people call John a pre-Christ, very much like Christ. Even though he was born of a woman, not divine, he was a holy man, a righteous man. John was also Uh, called for a particular task, just like Jesus. And this particular task that John was called to, just like Jesus, will end up leading to his execution. And we're going to read about that today. And not just execution, but execution at the hands of a reluctant ruler. In this story, we can see parallels between Herod and Pilate. That's kind of a fun way to connect some of the dots. And And I won't get all into it. Uh, today because I just don't have time, but you should see the Pilate story when he pilots the governor, the Roman governor, that ends up uh, ordering the execution of Jesus by crucifixion, but he didn't necessarily want to, but yet someone else came in and said, in in his case, the crowds, right? Pilate obeyed the crowds, and in this story, we hear Herod following the will of his wife and stepdaughter. So here's the point about John and Herod. In John, we have a model to follow. You should live your life like John the Baptist. We don't always get models to follow in Scripture. Some of uh, the men that God used in the most powerful ways are not exactly models for how you should live your life. For example, David, a man after God's own heart, sinned with Bathsheba, didn't he? And And then had Bathsheba's husband killed by sending him to the front lines. Oftentimes, The men that God's chosen to use throughout uh, history are not worth following or modeling your life after in all ways. But John 
was a great model. He was a pre-Christ, a parallel Christ figure. And he was, as Jesus said, the greatest man born of a woman. See, and, and in John, I think, I think that we learn that we can follow God's laws. Sometimes it seems impossible. I won't make you raise your hands if you messed up in the last 24 seconds. <laughs> but it can feel impossible to follow God's laws. But in John, we see the model of a man filled with the Spirit who Herod saw as righteous and holy. Even though he'd later execute the man, he had a sense of respect for him. And we can learn from John's model that we can live a set-apart life. We can see the power of God move by his Spirit. We can be used even though we're human. Our humanity, like John's, it doesn't mean we cannot live the life of obedient discipleship to the ways of Jesus. We should follow John. We should emulate the life of John the Baptist. We should do the things that he did. In today's story, we're going to see how we can live like John in even a world ruled by an evil man. Anyone feel the need to know how to live in a world ruled by sometimes evil men? Yeah, don't mention any names now. Oh, don't mention any names. <laughs> We're going to see the death and destruction that results when we, like Herod, ignore God's law and live in opposition to Jesus' moral teachings, like the ones we've learned about this year in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of those laws I'm going to name here in the next few stanzas. Let's go to verse 3. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. So first question to ask, why had John been put in prison by Herod? This man's holy. He's righteous. Mark chapter 6 seems to indicate that Herod knew that. Why is he imprisoned, this man? It seems when an evil man is leading, it seems like the wrong people get put into jail. You hear me on that. It says very specifically, though, in this passage, why John was put into prison. Because of Herodias. And who is Herodias? Herod's brother Philip's wife. Herod's brother Philip, also a son of Herod the Great, was a ruler, probably a tetrarch of sorts in a different region. He used to be married to Herodias until his brother, Herod Antipas, took her. See, Herod and Herodias, they wanted to ignore the law of God and live according to their own desires. And in this, we see the whole reason John the Baptist is in jail right now is because he stood up to Herod. He stood up to the ways of Herod and Herodias, and he called them out for the way that they were living. And he knew these are Jewish people by birth, people who've studied God's, God's laws, people who claim to be part of God's chosen nation. And yet they're not living according to God's laws, are they? They're living according to whatever desires they have, it would appear. Can you imagine? Maybe you shouldn't imagine marrying your brother's wife it seems pretty degenerate, right? That's the kind of stuff that happens in Appalachia, perhaps only. None of us would ever do anything like that, would we? Right. Hmm. 
See, God's design for marriage and sexual union was laid out. This is why John could be bold, because he knew God's ways. I find in myself one of the reasons that I have a hard time being bold is I'm not perfectly sure. Like, is this a big deal or not? John the Baptist was perfectly sure. He knew God's laws. He had confidence in the authority of Scripture, God's perfect law that had been handed down to him. He had full confidence. John the Baptist knew this is a hill that he was willing to die on. So he speaks out against the marriage of Herod and Herodias. And and you know, you can go to Genesis 2 where it talks about man and a woman being united. You could go to Deuteronomy 22, Leviticus 18. All these instances, the Bible actually teaches a particular ethic for marriage, gender, and sexuality. And I'm here to say it this morning. And I don't expect that I would get many dissenting voices in in a room full of people who have meandered out of their houses on a rainy Sunday morning to come to church. But we live in a culture that disputes these very facts. The same facts that John the Baptist gave his life for. And like I said, you guys, Herod was not someone who'd never heard about Jesus, who'd not been taught. This isn't a pagan in the streets. Herod was a Jew by birth. He would have known the law of Moses. So John the Baptist is choosing to be bold and speak out against a man who should have known better. That's a really important fact. And it should, it should educate the way that we speak out in boldness. Who are we talking to? Who are we being bold with? When we come against the people or we come upon a people who know the truth of God's word, our boldness should increase like John the Baptist's boldness increased here. Herod a Jew, he knew God's design for marriage. Yet in his waywardness, he tried things his own way. And, and does he repent when John calls him out? Evidently not. I guess when you're in charge, that's what you do. You just throw every dissenting voice in jail. So no, he doesn't repent. He, he imprisons John. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we read that he wants to kill him. At this time, he wants to kill him. But he doesn't ki- kill him, at least not yet. See, Herod's original sin, you guys, you, we got to get this. His original sin, the original sin of Herod is not his divorce. It's not his adultery. His original sin, you guys, is unlawfulness. That's what it says here. It is not lawful for you to have her. This was John's complaint with Herod. It's not lawful. According to whose law? God's law. John held the authority of Scripture as the ultimate authority. And this has to be our authority as well. In a world that has determined that you're your own authority, we have to be bold about the fact that Scripture is our ultimate authority. We ourselves have to constantly weigh our decisions, weigh our values with the truth of God's law. When we fail to live according to the authority of Scriptures, we've, we've actually made our own desires king. And that's what... Herod is worshiping something, himself, his own desires. I'll do whatever I want to do, is what he's saying. The God of Israel is not his God. He's bowed to other gods. And, you know, I just, I I wanted to take a stand today and just say it out loud, on the record, for the whole world to hear. Okay, maybe just the 10 people that listen to our podcast, but whatever. All right, you guys are here too. 
Look, the law of the Lord is good. The law of the Lord is good. I believe that we should submit ourselves to it in all ways. Primarily, as it pertains to this passage, you guys, and to what I believe is a, our cultural moment. I want to take a stand for God's design, for marriage, for sexuality, and for gender. God's laws are good for us, you guys. His laws are good for us. And listen, I believe that human flourishing is best achieved not when we follow our own fleeting whims and passions. You doing you is not the road to human flourishing. It's the road to death and destruction, and that's what we're going to see in this passage. If you want to end up dead and destroyed, you follow your heart. You follow your heart if you want to end up dead and destroyed. If you want life, you follow God's good law. God's perfect design for us. It's so good for us. And that's why it's, it's a joy to submit ourselves to God's law. It's a joy. His laws, his decrees, the way he designed us. It's not oppressive. It's good for us. I reject any idea that God's idea is outdated, that God's design is prudish, or even bigoted, baloney. God's good design is just that, good. God's ways are genius. They're beautiful. We've been seeing all about it. Look what God in flesh has done. He heals the sick. He restores sight to the blind. He makes the lame men walk. He brings about true justice and peace on earth. God's ways are genius. They're beautiful and therefore are good. This is the message that we need to be bold about in our, in our culture today. God's ways are for our own good. Our ways, the Bible tells us, lead to death and destruction. Notice something else here about this little chunk. The only thing driving Herod more than his own lusts and uh, passions is his fear of other people, right? Why did he do this? Because Herodias told, told him to do it. His new wife, Herodias, used to be his brother's wife. The passage actually says it's still his brother's wife. So it makes you think, are they really married? Or maybe this is just a biblical view that, that you cannot undo what God has put together. Herodias. I thought it was an ironic name for a woman. Maybe, maybe it speaks to the uh, self-centeredness of, uh, of this man, Herod, to, of course he wanted Herodias, you know? It's like me looking for Noel somewhere out there, you know? <laughs> Anyways, okay, I, I digress, but you guys didn't even notice, no one has made one comment about my Noel chalkboard back here. I, I thought somebody would accuse me of self-centeredness or something, I was trying to play a joke. But when you, when you have your own church, you get to put your name on the chalkboard during uh, Christmas season, I guess. I'm joking. I'll take it down next week, I promise. We'll put, we'll put something else up there. <laughs> hey, listen, I endured a lot of, uh, you know, being made fun of and called Noel throughout my lifetime. So I can, you know, I can have my fun here now that I'm a grown man. All right, so where are we at? Here we go. Here's the thing. <laughs> Here's the thing, we're, we're going to see this later in the story too, but what we see here is that Herod's more motivated by doing what will bring his man's empty praise, like the people around him. He's more, he's more motivated to do what will please people 
then he is motivated to do what will please God. This is a problem. This may be the ultimate disorder in this situation. And it's such a parallel with the life of John the Baptist, right? John was the opposite. John was like, I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what you say about me. Though you imprison me, I'm here to please God. Herod and John, opposite characters. See, when man's praise trumps God's approval, we'll fall off the horse in all different directions. And we see that here in the life of Herod. Herod feared man and his wife, but John feared God. You've heard this, uh, this before. He who wants to gain his life must lose it. Herod's trying to hold on to his life. He's trying to hold on to his reputation. He's, he's fearful that if he kills the prophet, maybe there'll be an uprising. What matters to him most is himself, his status, his position, his fame, money, desire. This is what matters to Herod. And so he's willing to disregard God's laws and put in front of those just even the approval of those around him. Elizabeth Elliot, a missionary, wife of Jim Elliot, who gave his life to reach unreached people groups with the gospel, she said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. If you've been here at all, I think I've quoted that woman six times already in the short life of this church. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In this case, John gave up his head, knowing that it wasn't his head to keep in order to hold on to that which he could not lose, eternal life in Jesus. This is the source of John's boldness. <clears throat> in Matthew 10, 28, we read this in Jesus' famous sermon on mission. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, John had his fears rightly ordered. Herod had his fears unrightly ordered. Fear of man, you guys, always and only will lead to death and destruction. When you put man's approval or woman's approval, you get the point, right? When you put mankind's approval, human approval, before God's approval, it will always and only lead to death and destruction. But, 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 in Jesus, in Jesus, fear of God and his ways lead to true life. That's the paradox. Fear of man leads to death, but fear of God leads to life. This story of John and Herod, it's, just, it's a great example of what it looks like when a disciple of Jesus chooses fear over God, I'm sorry, fear of God over fear of man. So Herod, a man uh, driven by his own desires, driven by greed, fame, human approval, he's rejected the good law of God, and he's, he's married his brother's sister, Herodias. John, the prophet and truth teller, confronts him on it and ends up in prison. This is where we find ourselves. At this point in the story, the only thing that's keeping John around is Herod's fear of an uprising. So let's go on. Verse 6, on Herod's birthday. Oh, that should be a happy occasion. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests, which is why I was not allowed to dance in my house growing up. 
Sorry, again, I digress. He, she danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist's. You guys, Herod's ways are disgusting. Marrying your brother's wife seems like sort of disgusting. But being pleased by the dance of your stepdaughter niece, this is despicable, is it not? He's undone by his own sensuality in this story. I mean, get this. On his birthday, he threw a huge party. And who did he have dance for him and his guests? His stepdaughter niece. She was both, both his stepdaughter and his niece. <clears throat> she did not seem to step in. This uh, stepdaughter and niece we know to be named Salome or Salome. This is a picture, I believe, you guys, of the further consequences of divorce and adultery. Look, uh, Herod, he's rejected God's sexual ethic, and he's not stopping at the consensual adult stuff. And this is what happens when we stop to make Scripture our authority. We will go off the rails and we will continue going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until we meet our end. Now he's enjoying a dance from his child relative in front of all his friends. He's really enjoying this. So much so that he says, I'll do whatever you want. This guy is like really enjoying this dance, right? I'm trying to keep my language kind of PG, but he's like really enjoying What's going on here? Can you imagine? What do you want? I'll do whatever you want. This is disgusting. This is like way more undone than just marrying your brother's wife, which seems to be bad enough. And, and you guys, I, I just like this is the cultural moment that we're in right now. And I think that, you know, two decades ago, three decades ago, you know, the first thing that was attacked, even longer than that, I think marriage was the first thing that was attacked, right? Marriage used to be a, a sanctified ordinance in American society. And we started to undo marriage, right? And all of a sudden, marriage wasn't so, you know, you could get out of a marriage easily. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't at times get out of a marriage. And I'm not saying there is biblical reason to get out of a marriage at times. But I think you know what I mean. First, we came as a society against the permanence of marriage, it became something that was supposed to fulfill our own desires, right? And then the next thing that happened is like, well, oh, I, you know, Steve and John want to get married. And now we're, there's rules in place to let Steve marry John. This is not the Bible's design of man and woman, is it? I think that's what we're seeing in this case. You guys, this, there's like a progressive nature. When you're the boss of your own life, there's no end in sight to how far off the rails that you could get. And, and we are at a point in time, in this cultural moment, we don't even understand gender anymore. And the same people who told me to follow the science are completely rejecting the science and physiology of gender. We're so confused. And I have, I have pity on those who are growing up in a culture that's so confused and I'm telling you, this is a hill I'm going to die on. I mean, I don't want to, 
I hope I don't have to die to actually give my life, but this is worth fighting for, you guys. And I think we see that in this story, you guys. It just, it's progressive in nature. It starts just kind of bad, like, oh, consensual relationship between adults. Well, they're both adults. Who's it really hurting, right? His brother Philip probably had a bunch of other wives. What, what does it matter to lose one? But before you know it, you're getting pleased by your stepdaughter, niece's dance. And it gets really, really disgusting. And I just got to say something about it. Because it just seems like it starts relatively innocently, but, but it's like progressive. And before you know it, we're all disgusted. This is what happens when we unrepentantly pervert the design of God. Eventually, we will be given over to our desires, you guys. Herod, here, everything he's doing is out of his own pleasure. He's giving in to his own desires. This is why Paul says, therefore, this is in Romans, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, Paul says, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. When we fail to make the authority of God, the authority of Scripture, the authority of God's good law, our ultimate authority... We get to this point, like I believe Herod in this story, where God just gives us over to our own sinful desires. And look, you know, I, I'm, I am 100% not here this morning to single out any sort of uh, uh, diversion from God's design around sexuality. Do you get what I'm saying? There's a whole bunch of different ways to fall off the horse in this area. I'm not, this isn't about, you know, homosexuality or gender confusion explicitly. This is about not living our lives according to God's good law. We all do this in a bunch of ways. So if we're sitting here right now thinking, oh, those people, they got it really messed up. No, we're those people. We are those people. What did Jesus say about lust in the Sermon on the Mount? You've heard it said, thou shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, he that even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We've all fallen off course, you guys. Hetero, homo, lust, adultery. We've all fallen off the horse in one way or another. And, and what I'm here to tell you is that when we exchange the glory of God's good law for a lie, we walk into this progressive cycle of degeneration. The end result, you guys, it's, it's much more severe than we could have anticipated. It's much more severe. Things only get worse and in the road is death and destruction. See, here in the story, we see a man whose lust first leads him to divorce and marry his brother's wife. And now, his stepdaughter niece is dancing for him. If you don't believe me uh, that things are, are, like, really out of whack, like, just watch the news, right? And I, by the head shaking that I was getting here earlier, I don't think that I have to spend a lot of time uh, convincing you that our culture is really confused about this stuff right now. Again, God's design is for our good. 
is for our flourishing. Uh, the candle that we lit today is the love candle. Love. I believe John the Baptist acted in love when he confronted Herod. When he said, in boldness, Herod, you are not following God's law. It's an act of love to speak up and say something. This is what it means to love those around us, even those struggling or caught up with this type of confusion. It's not loving to let someone walk themselves to destruction. So I feel prone. I feel, I feel stirred to say something, to stand up for God's perfect design. Anyway, the, uh, the debauchery doesn't stop here in this story. It says in verse 7 now that Herod is so pleased by, by Salome's dance that he offers to do anything she wants him to do. So he's completely controlled by his sensuality at this point. His desire is controlling him, right? This is a picture of a man who's been given over to the desire of his heart, and now he's trapped himself, right? Do you see how he's trapped himself here? So, so he makes an oath. I'll do whatever you say, okay? Now, my students come into class nearly every day, and they say, Mr. Peepgrass, instead of running, could we play dodgeball? Or whatever fun activity they want to do instead of the challenging activity that I have for them that day. And, and my famous line is, I'm sorry, but I do not negotiate with terrorists, <laughs> right? Here's Herod. Ruler, very rich, tons of power negotiating with what? Maybe a teenage girl. He's trapped himself. And, and, and this, is, this is interesting because what does she do? She could have asked for half the kingdom, right? He says, that I'll give you up to half the kingdom. She could have asked for half the kingdom, but instead she prefers to participate in her mother's hate. She chooses to participate in her mother's hate for John. We read that this shouldn't be a surprise, though. This shouldn't be a surprise that hate would lead to murder. Because Jesus told us that hate would lead to murder. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, You have heard it said, Thou shalt not murder. But I tell you that anyone who holds anger in his heart towards his brother has already committed murder in his heart. Lust leads to sexual deviance and eventually death. Hate, if left unchecked, eventually leads to murder and destruction. Hate is the starting point. Death is the end result. And so she listens to her mother. It seems like everyone is listening to Herodias in this story. And she, she ends up making a request for John's death. Now, you, you can see that the story has built up to this moment. And, and our ruler guy, Herod, right, the Tetrarch, Herod, Antipas, the Tetrarch, he's gotten himself into a bit of a quandary now because he has promised this girl whatever she wants. And uh, she asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And a lot of people have seen him make this oath. And so he's, uh, he's fearful of what they might think of him if he doesn't hold up to his oath, right? And so in, in verse 9, it says that the king, now it calls him a king, that's interesting, he was powerful, right? He was some sort of ruler, very powerful. Here he's called the king. Verse 9, the king was distressed, it says. After she asked for John, the, I don't think he was expecting that. 
He was probably expecting that she would ask for a high position in the kingdom. Instead, she's like, I want John the Baptist's head. And so he's distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, that's a lot of sounds, he ordered that a request be granted and John beheaded in prison. So why was Herod distressed? It says very directly, he was distressed because of the oath that he had made. He was also distressed because of his dinner guests and what they would think of him. Oaths, where have we heard about oaths before? If you've been coming to this church long enough, you remember Matthew 6. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. That's what Jesus said. Do not swear an oath at all. Hmm. Too bad Jared's already, Jared, Herod has already decided not to follow God's laws because this would have been a good one for him to follow. He wouldn't have found himself in this position if he'd been the kind of guy that was keeping God's laws. Instead, he's trapped by this stepdaughter, niece of his. His lust has provoked him into this oath, and, and now he's really got no way out. And man, what an example of how things get off course when we break the good laws of Jesus. Do not swear an oath at all, Jesus said. Now, this is Herod's choice now. He gets to choose between breaking his promise in front of his guests or committing the act of murder this little girl has requested. He can either be a liar, someone who doesn't keep his oaths, or he can be a murderer. Now he gets to choose, and neither option is good. It it ain't great for old Herod in this situation. But notice the choice he makes. I mean, he could have chosen... Is, am I, correct me if I'm wrong, is there not a lesser of two evils option available to him? If someone prevents you with the choice, kill or lie, which one should you choose? Lie, you break the dang oath, right? You break the darn oath. Dang was too harsh, sorry, my mom didn't let me say that growing up. I was like, oh my goodness, I just said that from the pulpit. He chooses to appease his guests He's willing to kill a righteous man in order to win the approval and have his reputation with his friends sustained. Because of the fear of his guests and his reputations, he decides to follow through and have John the Baptist beheaded. Man, you guys, are you not seeing the picture here of Herod, this really powerful man living in total fear? His life is driven by fear. What's she think? What is she going to say to me? What will the people do if I do this? What are my friends going to think if I honor this ridiculous oath I just made? He's a man totally trapped by fear. And and it's not like a holy fear. It's not a, a godly fear. It's not a fear of God, a right fear. It's an evil, self serving fear of the opinion of his fellow man. So, are you seeing the picture? God's man, John, the baptizer, he's in prison, and he's killed by an evil man. This is the picture that's before us. Herod, evil, takes out John, holy and righteous. And why? Like, not for any good reason except so that he can fulfill his own desires for sensuality and fame. It's kind of disheartening. I got up here boldly saying, I want to be bold about the things of God. I want to make a stand. I want to take a stand 
I even said figuratively, I'm, I'm willing to die on this hill. Well, guess what? John the Baptist literally died on that hill. Matthew 10, we learned, hey, being on mission with Jesus, it's awesome because you get Jesus. When you're on mission with Jesus, I promise you this, you will get Jesus, but you may not get anything else. John the Baptist stood up in boldness, and what was his reward? He lost his earthly life, but he gained eternal life. He is no fool to give up what he cannot hold in order to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray.